everybody. Welcome to the November 9th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. We survived, folks. It's after the election. It's going to be a fun show. Let's get a quick take on Representative Diana DeGette announcing her bid for U.S. House Majority Whip this week. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, I believe if I'm doing my math right, uh, uh, Diana DeGette was just elected to her 12th term as uh, the representative from CD1. Uh, going for Majority Whip, is this a good move for her? Why not? What, I mean, what else does she have to do? She's been there forever. It looks like she's not going anywhere unless she decides she's going somewhere else. She's been a deputy whip, and it's a perfect opportunity for her. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, do you think this is a good role for DeGette? I don't know enough about the interactions of, uh, I, I know it, kind of what a whip does, but for other folks that hear the idea of majority whip, they, they know that's part of the leadership. Uh, is this a good role for Diana DeGette to do in the U.S. House? Oh, absolutely. And, and she's had been in, in when she was in the Colorado State House, uh, she was also in, in the leadership. I will confess my bias. She, she got her start in politics 30 years ago as my dad's campaign treasurer in his state house campaign, and she helped raise thousands of dollars, um, which was like pocket change for, for modern races, but was, was a lot at, at the time. She's been chief deputy whip. The, the whip's job is to, when there's some big vote and the, you need party unity on that, the whip is the one who's in charge of convincing the undecided or, or hesitant uh, members of the party to come along. So she has good personality skills. She's been chief, de chief deputy whip already. And in, in Congress, there are sort of two paths to power. One is the committee side. and She's been on commerce. and so. But instead of, like, aiming to become chairman of the Commerce Committee, she's going for the, the leadership side. She talks about the need for generational change. She's a, a mere 61, and uh, her gerontocratic uh, opponent, James Clyburn from South Carolina, is 78, um, a, a relatively young among the, the senior House leadership. Uh, so there's a lot of Dems who in the U.S. House who want uh, the younger people, uh, the ones who aren't eligible for Social Security for another year, uh, to be able to uh, uh, participate in leadership. She says we need a woman. I'm not, I'm not sure that's that convincing in the context of the U.S. House in general. But she also says we need representation from the Rocky Mountain West, which is important, and that's part of if they're going to have a long-term House majority, they're, they're going to need to keep winning races in the Rocky Mountain West. Eric Sonderman, political analyst, I guess, uh, looking at David's an, uh, analysis, uh, nothing against 61-year-olds, but if you're the rookie uh, in, involved in the race, that's saying something about the race. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, you, you stole my thunder. I've never heard David be so complimentary and uh, <laughs> enthralled with the Democrat in my life. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when Diana Gett has been in Congress 22 years, she will st be starting her 12th term in January. David mentioned her age. When that qualifies as new blood and generational change, you know the Democratic leadership of the House is, is way on the geriatric side. Good for Diana. I think the odds are stacked against her unless there's some shuffling of the deck where Clyburn is able to move up and vacate it. But I'm not sure I see, given the power of the Congressional Black Caucus and given... Clyburn's tenure there, that she's able to beat Clyburn. If she proves me wrong, more power to her. I think we're bearing the lead here. The real lead in terms of the House leadership elections relates to another Colorado representative, that being Ed Perlmutter, who is head of a gang, I don't know if they're calling themselves the gang or whatever, of 10 
uh, Democratic Congress people who are publicly saying they will not vote for Nancy Pelosi on the floor. Jason Crow is also counted, new incoming U.S. rep, is also counted among those 10. If they hold to their guns, depending on what the final count is in the House, and there's still a few seats nationally up for grabs, if they're prepared not just to vote against Nancy Pelosi in caucus, but to vote against her on the floor when she needs 218 votes to become speaker, that could be wild and good for Ed Perlmutter. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. Uh, wrap it up for us. Diana, to get uh, her bid for, uh, for Majority Whip, does it happen? Well, I think that uh, Eric just nominated her for House Speaker. I don't know how that's going to turn out. <laughs> you know, I think it's a good job for her. You know, what the Whip does is they count the votes, and they offer threats and rewards to get the votes that they need. It's a tough job, and one of the chief criticisms of uh, Diana DeGette is she doesn't spend enough time in her district. She's more concerned about what happens in Washington than she's concerned about what happens in Five Points. So, you know, if she's worked this hard for it, let's get it. It can't hurt Colorado, and uh, it might be good. It's a high leadership position, and high profile never hurts anybody. Jared Polis led a Democratic sweep in the state's highest offices on Tuesday. Polis made history, as did Jenna Griswold being elected Secretary of State. Phil Weiser had the narrowest margin of victory, but still came out on top in the race for Attorney General. Patty, um, we had breaking news at uh, the beginning of this taping that uh, you uh, brought in. The transition team for Jared Polis uh, has some, uh, I wouldn't say predictable names, but names we probably expect, like Polly Baca and Al Yates. But one name we did not expect, I'll let you bring that up. Bob Schaefer. The former congressman, what I loved about that, you know, who's, I guess, given up right now on making Coyote Gold tequila, you know, how his uh, wife has been involved in that. But interesting conservative education expert. So it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a very wide ranging, boldly forward move. If we had sat here two, well, we did sit here two years ago, and, you know, we would have thought it was going to be Governor Salazar, or, and then it was going to be Governor Perlmutter, and it looked like the Dems would have an edge, but I don't think any of us would have predicted that it was going to be Polis, and not just Polis, but all of a sudden, if you watched James Corden last night, Colorado is the cool kids. He labeled Polis like the coolest new governor, because, uh, like the cool kid in your dorm, and no one has ever really called Polis a cool kid. They've called him a bad dresser. You might remember GQ had him as the worst dresser in Congress. You know, he stood outside Mork's house in Boulder. You know, he's kind of been a goofy, interesting Colorado candidate and spoke his own mind. I mean, interesting. Suddenly he was making history as an openly gay candidate when it didn't come up at all in Colorado's election. It just made national headlines. But the fact that his victory was as strong as it was wasn't really a surprise as you saw how badly Walker Stapleton was campaigning. But the fact that Walker Stapleton had no tails for any Republican to hold on to, that all of those, that all of those three statewide candidates lost, that Wayne Williams lost, he hadn't done much of a ca campaign, but still he was the incumbent. You thought he had a shot at it. George Brockler, who had a lot of name recognition that he went down, did that Dave Young won. Any one of those with, I think, a little more money and effort might have been able to go over the top, and certainly any more momentum on the Republican side, which their momentum was backwards. David, I think it's easy uh, for uh, folks like us a couple days after the election to think for the one reason why something happened. And I think like anything else, it's going to be multiple reasons. But when I look at the Democratic sweep of the statewide offices, what I do see in common of all four is 
all of them approach their campaign uh, with a sense of advocacy. I'm not only going to serve this role, but I'm going to fight this and do go here and these lawsuits. And, and not necessarily that would go into the actual job description that they were uh, applying for. Between that and a democratic wave, the national sentiment, what stood out to you at least as one of the more important of the many reasons we have for uh, the, the complete sweep? Well, to start with, when if, if you get to write the rules for the game, that increases your chance of winning the game you, you later play. Colorado's campaign finance laws are might not be in place without Jared Polis and his money for a ballot initiative uh, over a decade ago. And like their national counterparts, they are written by and for uh, the ultra-rich to help them win elections. And that's they've been successful in that regard. But there, there's other factors, too. And let, let's just look at New Mexico, where they also had a blue tsunami there. Complete Democratic sweep of all the statewide offices, picked up a uh, U.S. House seat, defended a House seat that was in danger, won a bunch of state legislative races, even in like very solid Republican, historically Republican districts. And what the analysis down there is, they pointed to two factors that certainly had influence in New Mexico, and I think applied in Colorado too. One is Outstanding ground game by the Democrats. Really, really good at get out the vote. Um, you know, every it's always an escalating thing, and this year the Democrats did it the best by a, a wide margin. And secondly, as in Colorado, antipathy towards Trump. Donald Trump is popular in some areas, but broadly speaking, not in Colorado and uh, and New Mexico. Eric, you've done a tremendous amount of work uh, consulting over many, many years. If Republicans come to you after this session, after this election, and did they face momentum that they simply couldn't do anything about, or is there a problem with the brand? There's definitely a problem with the Republican brand in this state. Beaton David touched on it. The brand is Donald Trump. There's nothing else that I can see to the Republican brand in Colorado. And let's not forget Donald Trump wasn't even that popular among Colorado Republicans in 2016. This was a cruise state. They were very late to the Trump dance, but he has now done a complete takeover locally and nationally of the Republican Party. You get nowhere if you are not in line with Donald Trump within that party. And it was a toxic brand in, in this environment. I go back in history to find try to find something analogous in terms of the magnitude of the wipeout, and I have to go back to 1974 when Dick Lamb was go elected governor, Gary Hart was elected to the U.S. Senate. If you want to go for a little trivia, J.D. McFarland became attorney general, Sam Brown became state treasurer, but even in that, the Republicans held the state Senate, not the state House, they lost the House, and they held the Secretary of State's office. So in some ways, 2018 is even of a completely different magnitude and then you add in we'll get to it later the Mike the, the Kaufman defeat uh, out in the Denver suburbs so it was a it was a complete wipeout the Republicans have some serious regrouping to do all eyes are going to be on Cory Gardner that is going to be an incredible I'd say uphill slog for for, for Gardner to hold on to that seat in two years two years is a long time but this is, you know, we talk about colors, and this is no longer a purple state in my mind. It's not even the periwinkle blue I'd refer to. I'm, I'm now using the word azure. Azure. <laughs> I tell you, you have, uh, Crayola crayons have nothing on you, Eric. You, that, is, uh, that is outstanding. They did wear the tie figure. It went purple on election day thinking it was going to be a split ticket. 
I, I'm, this is me, me, me paying my side of the bet there. Uh, Joey, do the statewide offices, uh, officers now that have been elected, can they see their margins of victory as a mandate? Well, they're crazy if they do. I, I don't believe that we're a blue state. You know, I don't believe that we're a purple state or a red state. I think we're a swing state, and we're going to swing back. And I said before we came on the air that I thought Tuesday night was a good night for Cory Gardner because if Jared Polis follows through with the, with the promises that he's made and they do go after oil and gas jobs, then there's going to be a backlash for that. We've seen it in Colorado before after 13 and 14 when the Republicans had John Hickenlooper, who at least had the veneer of a moderate who was pulling the reins on the more liberal members of his, uh, of his caucus. And, you know, now we've got a governor who could be snapping the reins on his caucus to charge harder to the left. And if that happens, because let's look, you know, conservative candidates lost on Election Day, but conservative ideas didn't. They shot down regulation on oil and gas. They shot down a whole raft of, uh, of tax increases. That doesn't sound like a blue state to me. Oh, you usually have the nickname of Ratings Gold. Now you're Segway Joey. So while going blue in statewide races, Colorado voters were not nearly as generous with ballot issues. Only restrictions on payday loans and new redistricting policies passed. Meanwhile, Denver voters approved all the proposed civic measures, including four sales tax increases and a controversial campaign finance initiative. Uh, David, we talked about ballot initiatives on election night and discovered, and we discovered, what we talked about how Many of the ballot issues were actually there to combat another ballot issue. 112 and 74 come that way. I think you talk about 109 and 110 that way. Are those battles just going to come back in two years? Well, no, but the, the issues are going to be very important in the legislature in January because there are still issues on, on education, on uh, transportation, and, and on uh, oil, and, oil and gas. Uh, Polis said, was asked, well, does the... Does the pretty wide margin to defeat for all these things, uh, does that affect what you're going to do in the legislature? And his answer was, was, based, was no, because I didn't endorse any of those things, and presumably he's not going to support something that's an, an exact copy of those, but he'll still be moving in the same direction. There, there's a state budget surplus now, so they're certainly going to throw a lot of money at, the, uh, at, at education, and given uh, a polis, I think, would be inclined to have that tied to some measurable performance improvements and, and reforms, I'm not sure the, the state house uh, is, would be so inc inclined to actually care about performance rather than just uh, more money. Uh, there will be another assault on oil and gas, probably not something to completely wipe it out in, in one fell swoop, uh, but in moving in that direction, certainly, because it, it's for many people uh, not so much a science issue as, as a moral issue. And then I think the legislature, this legislature will continue uh, what has been the, the policy of past ones, which is to totally neglect uh, roads and say a few people uh, aren't going to raise your taxes uh, to pay for roads. Well, we're certainly not going to spend our precious $30 billion in record revenue on mundane things like roads when we can uh, give the money to, uh, to interest groups instead. Uh, Eric, in the face of, I think it was about $37 million spent on uh, ballot issues from the oil and gas companies, uh, the Proposition 112, which essentially was a fracking ban, got, four, I think, about 42%. I could be off by a percentage point or, or two. Uh, you have the, uh, a, a Democratic uh, state leader, uh, now the Speaker of the House, who actually endorsed 112. You have Jared Polis in the governor's mansion. 
proponents of 112, they may have lost in the, in the official scoreboard, but it seems like a pretty decent win for them. What do you think? I think reasonable environmentalists who want reasonable regulation, yes, it was a huge win. Having Casey Becker as Speaker of the House, congrats to her. Having Jared Polis in the governor's office, having huge Democratic majorities. Just as an aside, the number that somebody gave me last night which stunned me is there are now more Democrats in the Colorado House than there are Republicans in both the House and Senate, uh, which is stunning in terms of the magnitude of the takeover. So I think reasonable environmentalists still have plenty of avenues and plenty of places to turn. The, the, the sort of the fractivist activists out a little bit on the fringe, who I think were the driving force behind 112. No, they were rejected. Extreme measures are, were rejected. Dialogue about responsible measures can continue and continue among uh, some pretty friendly place, uh, faces. I think we showed once again that Colorado is a very accessible ballot. You can get measures on the ballot, getting them across the finish line is much, much harder, and you ran the list. It's a very short list of those measures that did get across the finish line, and to my thinking, they were there before the campaign even started because they just had that visceral appeal. If you don't have that visceral appeal, if you have to make a detailed argument for the measure, then no side has such an advantage. Joey, let's talk about that. It wasn't as if Colorado voters went no down the board. They read the ballot. Now, 111 is right in the middle of that pack, and it passed well. Uh, so did uh, Y and Z. I think maybe even X may have. That was the, the hemp one. Uh, so clearly Colorado voters were not just in a full no mood, but they said no to an awful lot. Yeah, well, you know, Cindy Lauper said it. Money. Money changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, uh, we, we don't quote Cindy Lauper on this show enough. We do not. Um, the, you know, you look at who was behind these initiatives, and, you know, there was a lot of money behind 112 on both sides. The oil and gas. People like to talk about all the money that oil and gas interests put in. Well, you know, the people like the Sierra Club and Tom Steyer, they've been putting a lot of money into this state as well. And this is going to continue to be a battleground. I would urge legislators, especially uh, Democratic legislators and especially very liberal legislators to proceed with caution on energy because, you know, if they want a geyser in their backyard, then Anna Darko and Nobel will be glad to put a, a geyser of money in their next campaign. This time they were tied up with 112. The next time there won't be a 112 on the ballot. And I think we could see a change in, in the leadership and uh, the majorities in the, the House and Senate if, if oil and gas decides to play in those races. Uh, Patty, you don't have to quote Cindy Lauper in your answer, but uh, some, I think some were mystified that Democrats ran the table, essentially, uh, with ballot issues that spoke to some of the issues that Democrats may have stood for, didn't do well. Is that where Colorado split its ticket, where it usually does Democrat-Republican, they just go, now they just went Republican on the issues? I wouldn't say they went Republican on the issues either. I think in... In Colorado, people are a little hesitant to be told what to do, and I think that was it. They were kind of bossy, those initiatives. You know, 110 was very, very bossy. You've got to go out and pay more money for the roads when people are wondering why with $30 billion, there isn't money for the roads. I think with 112, it was just overreach on 112, and I think the oil and gas industry will come back to kind of rue the day. They'll, they'll look fondly at 112 because they could have taken it to a legislature that might have had more Republicans in it and backed it down a little. Now I think what will happen is, let's not forget, Polis was ready to have fracking measures on the ballot 
several years ago, made a compromise. Now he's got the opportunity to come up with what was his ideal and see if he can push it through. I don't see people fighting him very hard in the legislature. Uh, but going back to the ballot measures, in Denver, we are spending money like drunken sailors. What? It is amazing that all four of those went through. And the one that seemed the most Scrooge, you know, the most Scrooge-like that people weren't going to pay for the scholarships even also passed. It is going to, we've created a monster for the next campaign in May. Just even the people who want to run, who are going to have to deal with the new campaign finance rule in Denver, it is, it is a crazy lineup of things that we passed. Denver was in a very generous mood. A 1.8% increase on the sales tax in Denver. Mike Kaufman lost his re-election bid in the 6th Congressional District to Jason Crow, making it his first defeat in a major election. Crow won handily, having the race called by 8 o'clock, and becomes the first Democrat to ever represent the district. Eric, do we see Mike Kaufman in Colorado politics again? Joey and I were talking about this before the show started, and Joey can speak for himself, but I think he's a little more on the yes side. I'm a little more on the probably not or at least not so sure side. I don't know what the path is. Yes, there's a governor's chair open in four years or at least a race against presumably an incumbent, Governor Jared Polis, maybe. Uh, but Mike Kaufman had a long run, Secretary of State, State Treasurer, Congress for many, many terms, and, and, and hats off to him. I don't know what uh, Mike Kaufman wants to do next. I think one of the real stories of this election, I was on a panel the morning after, and Josh Penry, who many of us know, pointed this out, and he's dead on right, is what happened in Arapahoe County. It was, we talk about a wipeout. That wipeout started in Arapahoe County. Obviously, Denver and Boulder and places like that are going to go very blue. Arapahoe County is as blue as can be. Even the popular Republican countywide elected officials uh, got beat. Uh, you are better off running as a Republican in Pueblo County or Adams County, which are historically Democratic places, than you are in Arapahoe County these days. Arapahoe County is symptomatic of the change that has taken place, the transformation in Colorado politics. Joey, we're running out of time. Your quick take on uh, Kaufman's future and maybe even some about Jason Crow. Too, Mike works too hard. He's too well-liked. He ran up against a wave year. I could see him running for governor simply because the Republican bench is so so thin. you got Heidi Ganahl, the uh, CU regent, and, you know, the, the Republican band is now solo. It's hers. So I, I look for Mike Kaufman. He's too good to leave on the sideline. Patty, who defeated Kaufman, Trump or Crow? Well, I think Trump, and the irony is that Trump then took off after Kaufman. If you heard him during his inane press conference talking about little Mikey and, you know, he had no love lost from Mike Kaufman, who I think took off after Trump but has been a gentleman campaigner. David, wrap it up for us. Uh, the pre previous president was accurately criticized for being a narcissist, but compared to the current guy, uh, he was a humble Buddhist monk. Um, that was Trump's behavior was disgraceful. Another day, so what? I mean, that that's many days. Um, but Kaufman had incredible electoral records: twelve wins in a row, going back to 1988. Three three previous wins in statewide races, including state treasurer. Uh, in 2006, which was not an easy year uh, for a Republican candidate. So I think if he wants the Republican nomination, he'd, he'd probably have it by default. And by the way, he had a very admirable record of reaching out to all kinds of immigrants in his uh, district and helping them. 
Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, please start us off. Uh, the Colorado Farm Bureau that got completely schnookered in this whole 74 as they were the face of it, the proponents, and it's going to take them some time to get back to being noble gentlemen farmers. David. Colorado State University, which apparently is so flush in money, it pays for a director of diversity and, cl and inclusion whose latest uh, diktat is that you can't, you shouldn't say long time no see because that is degrading to Asians. Well, of course it is. Eric? Uh, both Patty and David have uh, referenced this in a, a previous topic, but uh, the Trump press conference on the day after the election, what a piece of work. I was sitting there watching it and just stunned, and maybe we should stop being stunned because it is the norm these days. It is who he is. The Kaufman piece, the way he disparaged members of his own party who were defeated uh, was shocking. And then to cap it off an hour later with the firing of Jess Sessions, which we all knew was coming. But, uh, you know, there's a real constitutional crisis potentially brewing, uh, depending on whether they let the Mueller investigation reach its uh, final outcome. It sweeps month. It's bound to happen. Joey. Uh, I'm going to say the protesters who showed up outside of uh, Tucker Carlson, the Fox yep. News host, they showed up outside his house. It's time for all of us to take a step back. That's not... That's not cool. That's not the way Americans should act. But more and more, that's the way Americans do act. They say because the white nationalists do it, they should do it. But it's a race to the bottom, and I think we all should take a deep breath and uh, try to be Americans again. Say something nice, bumper sticker edition. Patty. Let's talk about more noble democracy. It's the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, all the Veterans Day events this weekend. You're here. David. All the hardworking reporters at the daily newspapers, including Joey Bunch, who put in a lot of long hours uh, this week and during the election. You're here. You're here. Uh, the Colorado I Have a Dream Foundation, a great event last night to celebrate its 30th anniversary. Joey. Jared Polis for reserving the domain name Polis for president. He's a forward-thinking governor. <laughs> Eight years ago. Totally forward. As we go tonight, I want to thank the many folks who made our election and debate coverage possible. First, to our many partners, but especially our friends at CBS4 and KOA News Radio and our great CIO panelists who were here on election night. Secondly, I want to thank our crew and staff here at the station. Folks, they made all of our coverage happen and look great. Finally, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and supporting our coverage. We've heard from many of you, either with questions for voting McVoteface or comments about, comments about the debates or even direct financial contributions in appreciation for what we did. Whatever your way was to be involved, please know how grateful all of us are for your support. Thank you very, very much. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. So good. Thank you.